we're going to continue on this morning, and uh, if in case you haven't already noticed, Rob is not here this morning. He's uh, currently on vacation uh, in the Dominican, so he's missing out on all this lovely Canadian weather. Uh, so we're <laughs> we, we celebrate with him. We, we're glad that uh, that he gets to take a little bit of time off to uh, to refresh and renew uh, and spend time with his wife. And uh, we are so glad that they get to do that. And so this morning, we, uh, we have a guest speaker with us this morning. Uh, this morning, Dan Chalner is going to come and share with us. Uh, Dan is a longtime friend of Rob's. Um, if you've ever heard Rob tell uh, 18,000 stories about the time he biked across Canada, Dan was the guy that he did that with. And uh, uh, yeah, so Rob and Dan have been friends for a long time. Uh, Dan is uh, a counselor. He's been a missionary. Uh, and I believe he's uh, headed back to the mission field uh, to, I forget where, but he is, uh, he is heading back out on another uh, missionary journey, but he's here with us this morning, and so we'd like to invite Dan to come on up, and uh, he's going to share with us this morning. I always thought you could tell who the guest speaker was because they're overdressed. What an amazing way to, to prepare to practice the discipline of silence. So you guys are already listening for uh, God's word, for what he would say to you personally and corporately. Uh, so we're going to continue with that and listen to what God would say to us through the words of Jesus of Matthew chapter 7. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Now, I'm going to try and do something that I don't normally try, which is preach through a larger passage. Uh, normally, I would read the context, read the passage, and then, and then preach on a few verses. But I'm going to try and do Matthew chapter 7, uh, which is a, a bit of a lengthy passage. So as I was looking through this and studying it, uh, I came up with the, the idea of, of a better way. Here's, here's Jesus, and he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to the people who are listening. And he's going to say a number of different things, some of which you've been looking at and have studied already. But he's proposing, he's teaching, he's showing a better way. There are, there are ways of living that are exceptional, and there are ways of living that are below the best. And that's going to be true in most things. But he wants us to be keenly aware of, of not just what succeeds in life, but how to succeed at life. Not just how do you do your business better, but how do you live a life worthy of the calling that you have received? How do you succeed not only in the temporal, but in the eternal? And so we're going to look at this passage, and I've called this a better way, the path of humility. And so we're going to trace through the chapter 7. We're going to trace through the idea of humility. And we're going to start with do not judge. Judge not that you be not judged. For what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at a plank, and a plank is in your own eye? 
Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. All right, let me start my little timer here. This is good news for anybody who knows that I'm set to 45 minutes, kind of like my dad is. No time necessary, about 45 minutes. So I'm going to do it in less today. But I need some accountability. Do not judge. Judge not that you be not judged. One of the fascinating concepts that, that comes out of this is we will be judged with the measure that we use. We will be judged with the measure that we use. And I want to look at this in two other passages. So turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 2, 34 and 35. Luke chapter 2, 34 and 35. And I want you to pay attention. This is, this is Jesus being taken to the temple when he's eight days old. And this is Simeon speaking to him. This is, a, this is a Christmas passage. But I want you to notice something in Luke chapter 2, 34 and 35. Then Simeon blessed them, Joseph, Mary, and the baby, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. A sign which will be spoken against that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus was going to live such a life that he was going to be a sign. The kingdom was coming. The prince was in the midst. And people were going to react to that. And they would think that they were, they were saying who Jesus was. The Pharisees would call him a blasphemer. Others would call him Messiah. Thomas would call him God. He was going to be a, a sign that was spoken of so that the hearts of many might be revealed. They thought they were talking about him when they were disclosing themselves in the process. They thought they were talking about him, and what they were doing was disclosing themselves in the process. Judge not, lest you be judged. Let's turn over to Luke chapter uh, 19. And we'll look at this in one other passage, Luke 19, 21 and 22. Many of you will recognize the parable of the minas. A lord leaves gives meanness to his servants. They are supposed to go and do. A few do well. One guy sticks the, the money in the ground and then gives this as a, his reason for doing so. The servant to the master said, verse 21, For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. I hid the money you gave me that I was responsible for because you are a harsh man. You collect 
where you did not sow. I don't know what's going on there. But he doesn't seem to have the highest view of his master. We're going to be responsible for doing all the work. You leave on a vacation, like Rob has. You leave on a vacation. <laughs> We're left doing all the work. And when, we come, when you come back, you're going to collect it all. It's yours. We do the work. You get the credit and the increase. You're a harsh man. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, watch this, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not sow, and reaping what I did not, uh, did not deposit, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? I'm going to judge you by what you have said. You have said that I am an austere man. So I'm going to judge you. He never admits to being that. He never admits to being it. But the perception that the servant had should have led the servant to behave in certain ways. And instead of that, he does the opposite. My, my master expects a return on his investment and I don't think that's fair, so I'm going to call him a harsh man, and that should get me clear and free, because it's his problem, not mine. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. So we see in Matthew chapter 7, do not judge. The measure that you use will be used against you. Now, how does this apply to us? Uh, I am, as part, I'm, my other career is a psychotherapist. So I get to have conversations with people that most people don't have the privilege of hearing. I also hear some pretty crazy stuff. But I can think of one time when I was sitting with a client and this passage, this idea, was floating around in my mind. She was talking to me about the wrongs done to her by somebody else. How they had treated her unfairly how they had said things that were not nice, how they had run her down and affected her self-esteem. And I, doubt that none, I don't doubt that any of that was true. It probably was. But here's what I noticed. As she was saying that, she was keenly aware of wrongs done to her. And as we kept talking, I noticed she was not aware of wrongs done to others. You see, as she would tell the story, she would eventually begin to disclose that she would reciprocate in kind. But the context wasn't, I feel really bad about this. It was, how could they do this to me? Now, here's the problem. Because she was aware of wrongs being done, she sets the standard for herself of what is and is not okay. If somebody tells you a white lie, is that okay? If somebody withholds information and doesn't technically lie, is that okay? If it affects you in some way when somebody is disrespectful to you, is that okay? Do you not bristle at the very idea? That means that you know that this is wrong. At least you know it's wrong when it's done to you. <laughs> 
we may not be so keenly adept at figuring out that it's also wrong when it goes the other way. And so Jesus' words are, the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. How does this relate to humility? It's easy to want everyone to treat us the way that we think we ought to be deserve. We deserve. And when it doesn't happen that way, we get all bothered by it. Here's Jesus who deserved all of the praise that could possibly be given by his creation. And guess what he's going to face? The exact opposite. And he doesn't bristle at it. He accepts that this is what happens in life and that the Father will remedy it all. We too know the Father will remedy it all. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but he will bring it all about. And so the path forward is one of humility because we don't bother defending ourselves from every little thing because we have a Father who is, who is taking everything into account and will vindicate those who need to be vindicated. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent. If you, I love this, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Asking. There's a challenge to asking. There's a challenge to asking, and I've noticed this because it's often easier to expect somebody to do something than it is to ask them for it. And when it doesn't happen, we can be upset. I can think of a story, once again, <laughs> all my good stories come from my clients. My life must be pretty boring. My clients' lives, however, are fascinating. Uh, this man, had a, his wife had died and he had remarried, and they were working out how a new relationship was going to work. And his wife had this funny habit of starting things in a certain way, and then when her husband didn't jump in, getting all huffy-puffy and upset. So, for example, she would go down into the basement and wrestle and struggle some big box up the stair, bumping and grunting and making noise and all of this, so that when she finally got to the stair, she expected that her husband would jump off the seat, stop the movie he was watching, rescue her from this big bad box, and then she would be okay. And when he didn't, or he was too slow, or he didn't hear her bumping and thumping around, she would get all upset. The solution then was for her to ask and for him to do, but that's not what was happening. Why not? Why not just ask? Because when you ask for something, you're not sure you're going to get it. And so you risk rejection. You risk somebody saying no. You re risk that. So when we ask, we are vulnerable. And often we don't like that experience. So Asking is actually a recognition that we need or want something from someone and that they have the right, the choice, the option to say yes or no. And often we're uncomfortable with that. 
And so we see Jesus here describing the difference where he says, if you who are evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more? So we're doing a comparison here. You guys know how to do good. Who would ever give a child a stone when he asks for bread? You just don't do that. When you ask for a fish, do you give him a snake that can, that can bite him? No, you don't do that either. So if you're going to ask, ask of God, who is willing and desires to do good for you. And by comparison, he cannot help but do far more than you would be able to do, for he is all good. And so there's persistence, asking, seeking, knocking. And this challenges a sense of entitlement. You see, the other way that we could go is not to uh, be afraid of asking, but to have this sense of entitlement. This is what I am owed. This is what I deserve. Now, many people like religion for this reason. They like religion for this reason. There's a little calculator going on in their head. If I do A, B, C, D, and E, then I am owed all of these things. If I do sufficient good, then good should come to me. If I pray so many Hail Marys and so many different things, if I go to the mosque every Friday, then I'm owed this. I'm not receiving it as a gift given. I have earned it. I am entitled to it. And to that, Jesus says, no, you ask. But ask with confidence because your Father desires to do good for you. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who deserve it? No, to those who ask. There's something about asking that causes us to recognize we stand in need of something and we appeal to him who has and is the source of all goodness. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in it by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the path that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So we've looked at the problem of judging. We've looked at the challenge of asking. And here we look at the freedom of choosing. God is not interested in an artificial relationship with you. If he wanted everything to work perfectly, he would have created the Garden of Eden without the tree of knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> there would have been no temptation. There would have been no opportunity for sin. But God was not interested in that because he's interested in a genuine relationship. And so here he is pointing out two different paths. One is a broad path. One is a highway. One is well-trodden. One has signs and markings and advertising and Vegas-style lights. And the other is this little bush path that, that you, you can't quite tell. If you've ever gone for walks in these little trails, it's like, am I on it? Oh, oh there it is. Okay, I was totally off. It's small, it's narrow, it's hard to find. You have to pay attention to stay on it. 
But here's Jesus' warning. He's warning that, that there are two ways of going through life. There's the easy way that goes off a cliff. I used to, uh, to play a little computer game way back. Uh, I think it was called Lemmings. Anybody know? Fabulous game. These crazy little things just go in one direction. And you've got to block them and put things in the way and clear paths and all this type of stuff. But, but if you don't do that, they will all just walk right off a cliff. Every single one of them will just walk off a cliff. And then you've got to start again. Broad is the road that leads to death. There is no path forward without cost. There is no path forward without cost. Either you pay it in advance or it's collected later. The path that is narrow is difficult, but it leads to life. The path that is broad is easy, but it's like a credit card. You pay for it later with interest. Beware of false prophets, verse 15, who will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a, good, a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Beware of false prophets who come to you as in sheep's clothing. There are going to be some who seeking what they can get from life from others will appear to be something other than what they are. And while innocence and blamelessness is a biblical virtue, naivety is not. Innocence is when you're not doing something wrong. You are innocent of evil. Naivety is when you haven't got a clue what's going on. Adam and Eve were naive and innocent. Jesus was innocent, but not naive at all. And Paul warns us, beware, understand what the devil's schemes are. There are some who will come pretending to be one thing, but being something very other. But you have to pay attention. You have to look for the fruit. It's not immediately obvious. You might notice that fruit is a seasonal thing. It's not always immediately obvious what it is. You have to pay attention to see what is being produced. Sometimes it is quality. Sometimes it's only the appearance of. And so the reminder here is that there is a warning of deception. False prophets will come. False prophets will come. Those who speak in the name of God will come. And you're going to have to pay attention to see whether their life lines up or is at odds with 
what God has revealed. Okay, the warning of deception. Now, the importance of relationship. I never knew you, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I read a book some years ago. Fabulous book if you... Let me just check this. Show of hands. How many of, how many of you read? Not how many can read. <laughs> how many of you read? There is a fabulous book. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. I read many books. This is one of the books that has switched the way that I pay attention to things. And it's had a huge impact on my life. It's called Driven by Eternity by John Bevere. Anybody know John Bevere? He's written this fabulous book called Driven by Eternity. And in it, he focuses on messages that are in the Bible that talk to us about how we are to live and the joys that come from that. And he wants believers to focus on that which he has, God has placed in front of us. It says of Jesus in Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, you can endure the cross when you know the joys that are set before you. But if you lose sight of that which is before you, this becomes unbearable. And so John Bevere in his book, Driven by Eternity, challenges Christians to live in light of eternity. And in that book, he describes people. He, he does an allegory. He tells a picture of what it will be like for some people. And he's referring to this passage here where, where some people who think they are in a good relationship with God, having done ministry, having served in many ways, having done things in God's name, are going to find out that they had the behaviors but not the relationship. They had the behaviors, but not the relationship. And he said, these people are going to be absolutely shocked when the day of judgment comes. Because they thought they were safe. They thought they had the relationship, and it was missing. And so the warning comes here. <clears throat> the importance is in the relationship. I never knew you. But we did all of these things. In many ways, our society rewards doing far more than it rewards being. It rewards doing rather than being. We somehow think that the doing is proof of the being. But we all know that it can be faked. We all know that it can be faked. I was just, I just came across, I haven't, I haven't watched the video yet, but I probably will, uh, a YouTube video that said, the faker your life, the better you can succeed in social media. And I don't know what exactly is the message behind it, but I think there's something about, you can just create this alternate reality that people see and somehow take to be what actually is. But it's like cotton candy. There's no substance and it just melts away. 
And so Jesus says to them, I never knew you. You see, the path of humility is to not chase after the status types of things that we can use to prove, but to actually seek out the relationship with God. And God knows what's going on. And it will say, it will say in Matthew as well, um, when you go and you pray, do it so that not everybody's paying attention. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's done in secret, and he will reward. So he's paying attention and t calculating in a very different kind of way. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, verse 24, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat down on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus said these things that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And this is a fit conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. And it talks about the necessity of action. The step before was the importance of relationship. You need to have that established. But this is the reminder that there is a necessity of, of action. I've got a really good quote here, but I'm afraid that the person who said it has now since been marred by things that have come out. So you'll have to pretend you don't know who it comes from. Here's the quote. You cannot build a reputation on what you're going to do. Said by Bill Cosby. <laughs> His reputation's a little marred in the past little while, but you cannot build a reputation on what you're going to do. You can say many things, but you can't build a reputation on it. Years ago, uh, I was playing one of those Bible trivia games, like good nerds that we were, we would do this, and we would play these games, and I was playing with another missionary. I was probably about 19 or 20, and we came up with a question, and it was, what does Jesus compare the wise man to? And so we both knew that it was the person who built their uh, house on the rock. But the, but the question was, who is that describing? And to be fair, both of us, missionary kids, completely stumped. We're like, um, the wise man. Yeah, but, but what was the indication that this man was wise? And it's right there. I will liken a wise man who built his house on the rocks. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them is the wise man, the one who does, who implements, who executes. There's an Arabian pr uh, proverb. Now think about the peninsula of, of Arabia. How much, how much sand do they have? How important is rain in that area of the world? And the quote is this. 
A promise is a cloud. Fulfillment is the rain. To an Arabian in the desert, the clouds look like something, but it's not until it rains that the needs are being met. And so Jesus says, he who hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. Sometimes we can get a little bit proud. And we can think because we've heard something before, we've got it. And Jesus reminds us that it's not that you know the stuff. It's not that you understand it. But there's a humility that comes when you actually do something with what you know. And in many ways, our academic world values knowledge. And we can say, I'm familiar with this. I've been here. How many of you have been going to church for more than a year in your whole life? Much of what you will hear, you have probably heard before. Is that true? Have you heard much of the stuff that you've heard before? Probably. In fact, Peter even says to you, says to his, his uh, listeners, he says, I see it as my duty to remind you of the things that you know. Not because you don't know them. I'm not teaching you something new. I'm reminding you of it because there's a disconnect that happens. We think we've got it figured out, but our execution is poor. How many of you would admit, I'm not going to ask details, that you know more than you do? How many know more than you put into action? How many of you have enough sense that you could be in a different place financially, a different place with health, a different place with relationships, a different place with God? We know the stuff. But the humility comes when we don't just go, yeah, I got it, dismiss. Okay, I need to actually do it. And so this is the necessity of action. So let's close in prayer. Father, we're grateful that you have sent your Holy Spirit to speak, to teach, to instruct, that we have your word. We ask for hearts that are good soil. That it, the word that you have spoken to us would produce fruit in us. That we would pull out the weeds, turn over the dirt so that it's not hard and packed down. Where the word just sits on the surface but doesn't get into the earth. That we would remove the rocks that interfere with the growth. We ask that that which you've spoken to us today, we would implement because you offer us the path of life. So take these words, drive them deep in our heart, we pray, that we might be transformed by your life. In Jesus' name, amen.